You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You got to be good to me. I'm going to be good to you. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com, uh, whatever, Twitter, whatever. Trying to read so I know what I'm talking about here um, and do the intro at the same time. And apparently doing this 1,100 times is not enough to get it burned into my brain, even when I'm multitasking. So you get the point. So uh, one of the many suggestions given by uh, Mr. Ridgeway was Al Green, who is, in this genre, absolutely one of my favorites. I love Al Green. It's hard to do Al Green on the intro because it's, it's very slow, and his best, I think his best songs are the slower songs. So it's hard to do like a quick, here's a snip of him doing something cool, and then we move on. So it's like, here's 30 seconds of a portion of a song, and then, then bam, intro. But I will say, gentlemen... You have to get into this this genre. It's important for you. Let men like Al Green and Marvin Gaye show you the way. I've, I've, I've talked to you about Bill Murray and whatnot. And I'll be honest, not a lot of the females are into it, the music, that is, that I've found. But that's not what it's about anyways. It's not for them. It's for you. Embrace it. It's important. I promise you. Even if you're married, so what? Listen to Al Green for like 45 minutes, you're going to have a different swagger around the house. The only thing I will say is if you find yourself going down the road of Barry White, just understand that the door's locked for a reason. All right? And if you're going to bust that thing open, just know that this is a different... <laughs> this is a whole different thing. That is not first date persona type stuff. So don't don't take on that that whole thing. Oh, man. All the stories I can't tell you. But do yourself a favor and listen to some Al Green. Let him give you a little swagger for the day. Worst case scenario, you're in the kitchen and your family hears you uh, singing Al Green songs all day long. And they're like, oh, Dad, you're weird. And it's like, yep, I am. But I'm, but I'm cool, though, right, guys? Just do it. Maybe read the lyrics ahead of time, though, if you're going <laughs> to sing in front of your kids. I just, you know, I'm just saying. You can figure it out. You're a smart person. Anyways, um, probably going to have to be a relatively short day today. I don't even know if we're going to have a break. I just, we'll probably just do a breakless day. That's going to take a lot of the pressure off of me. Because I don't have a lot of time, and I'll be completely honest, the Al Green thing took, 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 took some time. Took, 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 took some time. So I know we've been talking about this for several days now, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, but there was a comment by John in the Facebook group, um, I guess in a sense sort of disagreeing with my assessment of everything I've been saying since day one of this podcast. Essentially saying, number one, this is how you build a Super Bowl team, and it's a picture of Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins next to each other. Every player can be willing to restructure their contract to allow the team to sign other key players. Julio and DeAndre is a sick duo. Today's salary cap and current collective bargaining agreement has created this, quote, style of how to structure a winning team. All right, lots of 
things here. Number one, if Julio and DeAndre play in Arizona together, are they going to win a Super Bowl? The answer is no. That's number one. So that automatically that's going to prove my point. You can spend all this money and do all these things and do what I said yesterday or whatever, which is sort of doing crazy things. It's not necessarily spending all your money because most teams spend all their money. It's just do something crazy. Get a big name guy. Get two big name guys. Get a great duo. That doesn't talk about the fact that their defense is still garbage. Well, they brought in J.J. Watt. Right. They brought in J.J. Watt and they lost the guy with the most sacks in the NFL last year. So it's kind of a one-to-one swap, except they lost a young, talented guy and added an old, broke-down guy that's going to make it halfway through the year and hasn't statistically been what he's been in I don't know how long. Still grades out well, which is why I think if he came to Green Bay, he'd have a much better chance than going to another team that doesn't really have a lot of compliments uh, to help him out, but whatever. Julio is not going to help the fact that they still have a terrible offensive line outside of their one left tackle. It's not going to change the fact that this team cannot run the ball to save their life, the fact that they don't have any tight ends, the fact that their corners are not very good, the fact that their linebackers are a joke. It doesn't change any of that. And it doesn't change the fact that Kyler Murray still, despite having DeAndre Hopkins, was, you know, good, not great. He hasn't even cracked, and maybe he will, but he hasn't even cracked top 10 quarterbacks. So what we know about Super Bowl winning teams, it's not about having two elite wide receivers. The only team I've seen that's had that recently is the Minnesota Vikings, and they struggle to get into the playoffs. And they have a better quarterback, I think, than Kyler Murray. And they have a better running back than Kyler Murray. And they have probably a better defense than the Arizona Cardinals. They might even have a better offensive line than the Arizona Cardinals. So no, I, 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 the very first sentence I disagree with, this is how you build a Super Bowl team. No, you build a Super Bowl team, um, number one, by getting that quarterback. Number two, by building a great defense. At least that's what the Patriots did for 50,000 years. So many teams do. If you have a bad defense or no quarterback, you're going to struggle. It's not to say you can't, but the idea that the way you win a Super Bowl is to have two elite wide receivers. I mean, do I have to go back and look through all the Super Bowl winning teams to find out how many of them had two elite wide receivers? Because I'm guessing it's it's maybe not zero, but I bet it's close to zero. Because teams that have had wide receivers as good as Julio and Hopkins are basically zero throughout all of NFL history. Not saying it is zero, but it's got to be real close. Then the second part, which was touched on in the comments, as far as um, every player can uh, be willing to restructure their contract to allow teams to sign players or whatever, as was pointed out in the comments, if you restructure, it's going to benefit you. Unless you're talking about just a straight-up pay reduction, which is something that players are not going to do. DeAndre Hopkins didn't sign the biggest contract in NFL history just so that he can take a pay cut so that Julio can come play with him. He didn't go to the Cardinals because he wants to win. He went to the Cardinals because he wants money. And that's true of everybody on that team. Nobody's taking a pay cut. He says Julio and DeAndre is a sick duo. No question it's a sick duo. So what? So what? And then as, as far as the current salary cap and all the collective bargaining and stuff, I, I, the, the one thing that most people who go down this road refuse to do is give me specifics as far as the Green Bay Packers. What can the Packers do? Don't give me this stuff about, well, there's some magical thing that can happen now. The salary cap is a myth. No, it's math. Do the math and show me how the Packers can do it. The Cardinals have 13, and just, just glancing at it, they've already got $13 million, which based on that, you probably could do it. You just have to backload it pretty heavily. The Packers, according to the same table, have $3 million. So there's, there's no way you can backload a $25 million contract so that you only take a $3 million hit this year. Not that you'd even want to. But beyond that, I can look at the Arizona Cardinals contracts and see, um, as far as restructuring, you're right, DJ Humphreys, second highest paid guy 
He's the only guy. He's their left tackle. He was the fourth best tackle in football last year, and his contract is up at age 29 in 2022. They could give him an, an extension right now and drop that $19 million down to, I don't know, 12 save save $7 million or something. Now you're up to $20 million. So easily you're, you're within range, right? I'm not saying you want to, and, and these are just rumors. Maybe Arizona has no interest in this whatsoever. I'm just saying Arizona, I, I can get there pretty easily. I don't think it's wise. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but I think they can do it. And you can go down the line and look at a bunch of other teams that can do it. The point is the Packers not only have spent all their money, they spent all their future money. It's why we're about 30-some million dollars in the hole next year. We spent all of next year's money too. So no, I'm sorry, there is no magical loophole. There is no magical thing. The salary cap is not a myth. This is mathematics. It's just math. And yes, you can do creative things. The Packers have already done all the creative things, which is why we're in such bad shape with the salary cap, because they've taken all the advice of everybody, the all-in people, every single year, who have been banging on chairs and tables and everything else, saying, go all-in, go all-in, go all-in. They did. Now we are flat broke this year and next year. And the fact is, the go-all-in crew are still mad at the Packers for not doing enough. No, we're in trouble because they listened to you. So you better hope we win because cuts are coming. So suffice it to say, I disagree. But again, here's, here's a new rule. If you want to say the Packers can do it, that's fine. You have to show your math. You have to show your work. I'm sorry. We're going back to elementary school. We're going back to school here. You got to show your work. What are we going to do? Yes, we can extend Devontae. That's a little bit. Keep in mind, I'd like to carry more than $3 million into the season. Meaning we could probably extend, uh, not Julio, Devontae, and we have just enough to get us through the season. Because as I've said several times, generally teams like to carry, you know, 10-ish million dollars or so into the season so that when things go wrong, you have some money to bring people onto the team. Right now, if somebody gets hurt, I, not much we can do. You have to pay. I mean, you have to pay to bring guys on the team. You don't, it's not like, hey, you're a free agent. You want to come play for us? I'm not, I can't pay you, but you know give you something to do. It's not how that works. But anyways, we've also got a question from Mr. David Davis in the Facebook group. Who can the Packers most benefit from a year two jump and a year three jump? Well, year two jump might be Jordan Love. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But we'll, we'll table that one. Again, I'm still uh, 65-ish. And, and, and uh, what did I say? It's actually like 60 as far as Jordan Love won't be the, the starting quarterback. Because there, there is that middle ground or, or that in-between where he doesn't get traded, but he also just sits. So we would still need Jordan Love in that situation if he just refuses to play. I'm not going to say A.J. Dillon because we already have a running back. Josiah, possibly. Kamal Martin, maybe. Do have Runyon, Hanson, and Stepniak, but we got so many guys. Granted, it'll be, we, we don't know if any of them are going to break out, so it would be nice to have somebody just have a huge, you know, if, if Runyon just has a massive leap, then we got a, we got a guy, right? But you also feel kind of crappy about, well, we drafted a bunch of guys. It's, it's depth, I guess. But it's probably got to be Kamal. And it feels weird because I, I don't know exactly what his ceiling is, especially in terms of coverage. But even if even if we, he can't get exactly the coverage down pat, if he is just a real missile of a run defender, um, as much as I love Josiah and I think he can bring an awesome dynamic that some of the other tight ends don't bring. Remember, he's kind of an H-back, fullback, tight end hybrid brings a completely different dynamic. So I'm, I'm, I'm halfway there with Josiah. But again, if you take away Josiah, are we going to be okay? Well, yeah, we didn't have him at all last year. 
Kam- we don't really know anything about our linebackers. We don't know if we have even one good linebacker on this team. I like Kamal, but he had a very limited amount of time playing, and he did well in that role, but I don't know that I'm super confident that fifth-round pick Kamal Martin, given a full-time role, is just going to be a stud today and forever. I don't think we have the information on that necessarily, plus new scheme, all that stuff. So I think Kamal would make the most sense just because we don't have a linebacker on this team. I know you guys like Chris Barnes. Some of you really think he's fantastic. I'm not quite there with you. So I would like Kamal Martin. As far as a year three, we got Rashawn Gary, we got Darnell Savage, we got Elton Jenkins, Jace, Kiki, Kadar, Dexter, Ty. This one's fairly obviously, I mean, we'll, we'll go through them, but immediately coming to mind is Kingsley and, and Rashawn. Right, Darnell Savage already broke out, so he's good. Elton Jenkins, you know, I think I don't think, if he doesn't ever get any better, I think we're happy with Elton Jenkins. Jace would be cool, but I think Br- Jace breaking out essentially is... Um, Tunyon, right? So, I don't know. Wouldn't be mad about it. Kadar could actually be pretty pretty serious stuff. For the same reason Kamal is, there's a lot of question marks at corner. Dexter, eh, and Ty for the same kind of reason, but I'm not going to go that route. Kingsley Kiki, I mean, it's it's hard not to say Rashawn, isn't it? Because a, a premier pass rusher, especially on a team when Zadarius is becoming far too expensive and Preston has already kind of flamed out, I mean, a real true premier pass rusher. If Rashawn Gary can can become a legitimate, like, Daniil Hunter-type player, as much as it would be cool if Kingsley could really step up, I, it's got to be Rashawn. And I understand as far as getting the best 11 on the field. You know, we already got Zadarius. If Rashawn stays where he is, that's pretty good. And then we got, um, you know, two defensive tackles with Kingsley and, why can I not think of his name? Kenny Clark. But, no, just give me give me an elite pass rusher, so... Uh, as far as third-year guy, I want to see Rashawn Gary, and he has taken some mini steps. I think his st- statistics are fantastic. Statistically, as a pass rusher, he's doing a great job. Um, I think there's a lot of inconsistency, though, which is why his grades have never really been all that great. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't take much to to be a good pass rusher, right? If you get two sacks in a game, that's a great day, even if you tried 40 times, you know? So it's easy to see how a pass rusher can do well statistically and not grade out very well, 40 is a bit of an exaggeration, but let's say 28 attempts. If you get uh, 12 pressures and two sacks, that's a great day. That's a, well, I don't think you can get graded poorly for that, but let's just say all the other attempts were just horrific. You got thrown back on your head. You got pushed clean out of the way in the in the run game, and as a pass rusher, you barely got out of your stance before they just buried you into the ground. You probably don't grade out super well, because you don't even need to win most of the time to do well statistically as a pass rusher. It's, it, I've mentioned before how there's kind of an inverse of relationship between positions, right? Corner, you have to be good every single play. Wide receiver, you have to be good once, right? If, if you, we've even seen that with uh, Eric Stokes versus, who was it, Jalen Waddell maybe? I think he gave up only one reception for a touchdown. Eric Stokes was graded poorly and, and Waddell was graded. You know, I, 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 nobody's mad at Waddell. The fact that Eric Stokes won 19 times out of 20 he still gave up that one touchdown, and Waddle's still going to get his face and be like, now what? So, I mean, it's just, it's a weird dynamic. Same with offensive line and defensive line. Offensive line, you got to win every time. If if on one series, let's say all the way down the field, there's 20 plays, right? right? Lots of plays. Took forever to get down the field. You won 19 times, but once he beat you for a sack, your coach is going to beat you to death for giving up that sack, and, and, and you know, you're going to be the one guy on the defensive line that got a sack, and everyone's going to be praising what you did, despite the fact that we all just lost constantly, and you're the one guy that won once. 
I understand it's not quite that easy as far as winning and losing, but more or less. I mean, if it's a pass play, you're either getting pressure or you're not getting pressure. So Rashawn, like everybody else on this team, the biggest issue, I think, is consistency. Anyways, I just want to end on one thing that uh, JJ reminded me of. Uh, You may have seen some pictures or videos or whatever going around. Um, One of the cool things that's been happening the last couple years is teams basically do it some kind of a weird, like, I don't know, video. It's not like a hype video. It's like a documentary, a mini 20-minute thing of the, the draft. Anyways, I know the Colts did it once, and now the Jaguars have done it this year. And it's a really cool video. I mean, it just kind of breaks down the whole process, what what happened in the room and all that stuff. But for some reason, they didn't really blur out the grades that they gave. So you can kind of see not the full board over on the, the wall where the big board is, but as they're putting um, players on the, the actual draft board, who got drafted by what team, when, where, all that stuff, they've got grades next to them. And so you can see a lot of the grades. And it's it's interesting because... Again, it gives you an insight into how different things are team to team compared to what just the media says. I mean, if if any one person, you know, Trent Balky is the Jaguars general manager. If Trent Balky, let's just say, you know, obviously if he was the GM, and like I've said a thousand times, it's funny because we all trash teams for what they're doing. But if any one of these GMs, including Brian Gutekunst, started their own website, if they just retired and decided, I'm going to do my own draft website, and that's what I'm going to do in my retirement, that would be the number one draft website in the world. Because they're a former GM. They have much more clout and talent and resources than anybody else. So if Trent Balky were to start a website, but let's just say we didn't know it was him. It was some shadow name and whatever, and it, it he started coming out with all this. If he would have put his board out there in public, let's say he had a YouTube channel or whatever, but you didn't really recognize him. I don't know. Those comments would be so unbelievably brutal. You're an idiot. You don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. For instance, Trevor Lawrence, I don't know what their scale is. They said some teams use a nine-point scale. The highest that they had was an eight. So I don't know. I guess I don't know what that means, but obviously extremely high, possibly an eight-point scale. I don't know. Apparently that's not really much of a thing, but Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. They took number one overall. They gave him an eight. You know who else had an eight? It was Jalen Waddle. So if they legitimately put together a board, and just just remember, if you've been paying attention to the draft, think about all the different boards that you've seen over the years and all this different stuff. Um, imagine if you saw Trevor Lawrence, and then instead of Zach Wilson or Penny Sewell or whatever, you saw Jalen Waddle. You know how many people would lose their minds? Beyond, beyond that, um, Zach Wilson had a 7.0, which means behind Jalen Waddle, you would have seen at least Jalen Phillips and Elijah Vera Tucker because they both had 7.5s. Travis Etienne had a 7.0, so he would have been tied with and possibly above Trevor Lawrence, although he's a running back, so probably not. Caleb Farley presumably had a 7.5, so he would have been above Zach Wilson. So, again, we got to keep in mind how, and this is this is just early first round where most teams kind of see eye to eye on stuff. It's when you get further down the the into the draft is when things start to get real different. So again, and it's not to say that teams are all right. I mean, they disagree. And obviously some people are right about prospects. Some people are wrong. There are probably times when, you know, some random draft guy is going to get an opinion right more so than a GM is, but it's, it's more or less because it's a crapshoot, right? I can close my eyes and throw darts and occasionally I'm going to get something right more so than somebody else. Cause it's not purely just based on talent, although talent's going to get you most of the way there, or at least get you a lot closer. I've used the blackjack analogy before. If you follow that table, you're going to win more often than somebody who doesn't follow the table, but you're still going to lose more often than you win. 
unless you're counting cards, right? And then then you're probably going to win more often. But that's that's not a that doesn't fit in the analogy, so we'll just leave that alone. Time traveler. <laughs> but if we just think about that in the context of what the Packers might have had, um, especially with some of these, I mean, the cool thing too is you know when they took Travis Etienne, they had Travis Etienne graded a lot higher than than a lot of the guys that had already gone. Right, Travis Etienne was a seven point zero. Quitty pay for the Colts at a six point eight. They thought Travis was better. So who knows what the Packers would have had on the on this? I mean, it's possible they had you know let's say a seven point five if it's the same kind of scale on Eric Stokes and he falls all the way to the Packers. That was a no brainer, or even a seven. You know, it's too bad we can't see what the Jaguars had on him. But I mean, they got a bunch of other stuff. Andre Cisco six nine, Jay Tufele six point four, Elijah Moore six point nine. Javon Holland looks like a six eight. Liam Eikenberg looks like a six eight. But it's 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 like it's almost for me anyways. It's like a palate cleanser because we just we get so stuck in this one way of thinking that we reached on this guy, we didn't reach on this guy. This is a fine pick, but not quite good enough. But it's because we've been bombarded in our brain with one way of thinking, one way of thinking only, right? And there's a little bit of difference between one site and the other site and all this different stuff, but. The group think is is unbelievable. And when you see something like this, and again, the Jaguars have much better resources and much more talented people. And even if they're not quite as talented, again, the resources, the fact that they can actually go to the games, they can talk with the guy, they can see things, they can talk to the coaches, they, they have all this information that guys at the Draft Network, for example, do not have. So really, at the end of it, it just comes down to just watch the guys for yourself. Decide what you think about them for yourself and trust the Packers. Not because we know they're going to have a great draft. Maybe it was a garbage draft. We have no idea. But there's no reason to assume that just because what we've been hearing for months about these guys is 100% true. Eric Stokes has always been a second-round prospect since forever. I don't, I don't remember ever seeing him as a first-round prospect. I'm sure somebody put him in there eventually. But in terms of aggregate, I don't think he was ever considered a first-round prospect. So what? Packers probably saw him, might have seen him as a top-15 prospect. So what does that mean? Are you still? I mean, if you learned that, would you still be mad? If so, it's because you trust the guys at the Draft Network more so than you trust Brian Gutekunst and his staff of scouts, which is a little crazy. I don't mean to keep picking on the Draft Network. It's just that's the one that's take it as a compliment. They're top of the top of the list. But anyways, as I said, I'm going to keep it short. Uh, it's going to be it for today. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Sunday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>